Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the 500 Worlds Podcast. I'm your host, Zach, and with me is Jeremiah. Hey, guys. Chris. How you doing, guys? Brian. Howdy. And our special guest today is Brett. Hello, everybody. And uh, oddly enough, today we have everybody on the show, which is a, almost a first, really. I do believe it is actually a first. It is not easy to do. No, we uh, we have wildly different schedules, but somehow, some way, it actually fell, to- fell together today. That's what happened when a bunch of middle-aged men make a podcast. <laughs> Who you call middle-aged? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Okay, and today's episode is why 30k is amazing. That's right. It's a definitive guide as to why you're missing out if you're not playing Horus Heresy. Because you all should be. <laughs> so t- in today's episode, we're going to cover a couple parts. We're going to talk about the good parts of 30k and why you should be playing and give our insights. And then we've invited Brett, which is our special guest on the show, as a new Horse Heresy player to kind of give his insight on why Horse Heresy is great. As a special announcement, the 500 Worlds podcast is doing our very first giveaway. We are attempting to expand our market, and therefore we're going to do a little Facebook, um, what do you guys call that, marketing? So we're going to ask everyone to share this podcast, give it a like, and give it a listen. And if you do so, you'll be entered into a contest to win your choice, either book eight, or two red books of your choice if you're a new Horus Heresy player. That is absolutely awesome. I'm actually hoping we give two red books away and get another player in here. That would that, be, that'd be an awesome goal, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, if it's someone that doesn't even play Horus Heresy, if they, wanna, if they want the black book, I will buy them a red book. I'll go in Hazzy's on that. There you All go. right. So we just up the ante. If you're new to Horus Heresy and you win the contest, you got a little something extra. Why you should be playing Horus Heresy. Guys, why is Horus Heresy so awesome? Yeah, let's talk about the first item, community. It's it's absolutely the number one item on the list because this is just an absolutely incredible group of people. Yeah, I gotta say, um, most, of the, most of the people that I uh, communicate with on a daily basis are other um, Heresy players that I that I've met and uh, befriended over the last several years. Uh, Zach, you're the, uh, I, I guess, the old man of the group. Not in terms of age, but rather, <laughs> you've been playing Horus Heresy the longest. So uh, you've had the most time to build up a community, for sure. Well, well I, maybe. I build I build consensus. I, I build up uh, you know groups of allies. Yeah, no, I'm good. Is that um, what we're calling Empire Secundus? Um, allies and yep. not treason? Yes. <laughs> When correct, <laughs> when when you compare it to the alternative out there, yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> hey, Horace never told me a lie. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so uh, back full circle to community. Uh, th- I got to tell you, that's the biggest reason that I still play Horace Heresy 30K. It's the group of people, not only locally for me, which we do have a great local community here, but globally. I have met people that I talk to daily that live from all over Texas and, you know, Australia, England. Uh, I like how you think, I like how Texas is international. Well, they're practically are. I mean, they're a bit odd and they're always threatening to leave the union. (laughs) They are in a world of their own down there. Community 
is absolutely the number one reason why anybody should consider playing Horace Heresy. Now, I can't guarantee everyone's local community is going to be great. In fact, you're probably going to find a smaller percentage of Horace Heresy players than you would your typical 40K, but they're out there. And uh, through today's technology, aka Facebook, you can certainly find them very easily. Oh, absolutely. And, and the big thing about that is if you're willing to travel just a little ways, I'm not talking more than a couple hours because I'm kind of alone over here in Grand Rapids. Um, I'm the only heresy player that I know of in the Grand Rapids area. But um, I, I, I willingly go down to Indiana and come over to Detroit when I get a chance. And if you're willing to go just that far, just a couple hours, it, there's some amazing games to be played and some amazing people to meet. Hey, guys, as the, as the new guy on the block, I could tell you from uh, just the experience I had at Adepticon, that was my first event ever. It's first time really going anywhere to play 30K. I mean, I was playing with guys I never met before, and they were awesome. Every, every single guy I played with was super fun to play with. I mean, that alone, if I never got to play another 30K game, except for Adepticon, I would continue to play 30K, 30K just to go do that. Yeah, that is no joke. I mean, it is, that is, I mean, that is the, the mecca for us as gamers, for Adepticon, but it, it, everywhere you go, that's the way it is. It's just a great group of people who are into freaking good miniatures, who paint their crap and love to play a good game and love to have a good time. You know, I, I see very little smash face in anything we do. Everybody just wants to have a good time. That's a, that's a great point. The community is absolutely chill. You're always going to have those rare outliers of people who try to smash face, but they never really stick within the community very long. I think they kind of get shunned. Well, they absolutely do. I mean, just think of um, the, the Sky Shield landing pan incident <laughs> more than a year ago. I mean, those, those guys. Right, so we need, we need some reference for that. <laughs> those guys tell were... us about it. Yeah. Tell us about the Sky Shield landing pad. So actually, I'll let Zach, since he's 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 kind of working with um, the Grain Legion now, he'll probably have the best gouge on it. Yeah, Th- this so is a legend, by the way, guys. Absolutely legend in the Horus Heresy community all over the world. And this happened last year. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. Uh, one of the um, the Heresy community at Adepticon still want was, is a uh, an actual beat face tournament. Um just because that that helps give the people that enjoy the tactics and list building segment of the game more, uh, more than theme and and story, um, that gives them kind of an outlet where they can they can have you know get their their games in as well. Um, and what ended up happening because it was we didn't have the actual Horus Heresy uh, set of rules um, quite down yet. Um, we were still using you know seventh edition. Someone asked if they can use one of the 7th edition 40k supplements, which was uh, uh, Stronghold Assault, I believe. Um, anyway, it had some some different things in there. One being a uh, Sky Shield landing pad, which is notorious because it can give whatever model is on top of it a, a really good and vulnerable save. Um, so what they did is they took that and then they stuck a Warhound Battle Titan on top of it, which is, you know, four times the size of the actual uh the actual sky shield that it's standing upon and and, and added void shield generators oh, and void shield generators so it had extra shields on top of that that you had to break through before you could actually hurt the the warhound itself and and they, and they put quad mortars at the feet of the titan yeah yeah they also put other things in there as well because the large scale titans don't actually have a base size they just have whatever their feet fit on so 
there was some modeling for advantage. There was some no, really and and <laughs> is missing arms. Well, no, no, it it had arms. They just were poorly glued on, so they kept falling off. They weren't magnetized or anything, and it was really shoddily put together. Now, and see, I I think you guys should have called them on that and said, you oh, know, it wasn't as modeled, they lost the two weapons. The arms fell off. Yeah, see, that had nothing to do with me. <laughs> I wasn't part I know, of I the group were. at that time. So other people t- took pictures of it. It spread like wildfire over Facebook and the rest of the internet. Um, and, you know, memes were born. T-shirts, t-shirts were, made. were made. T-shirts were made. And a year later, a championship uh, trophy was also created. Um, thank you, Brian. You're very welcome. <laughs> so... Yeah, so you'll every now you'll have little things like that, but they fade away and are are corrected uh, immediately after we see the problem. Oh yeah, you get the you get the in house um, correction. <laughs> yeah, you you get shunned and scorned and and all that. Um, yeah. Well, I I don't want to like say people are going to do that to individuals. <laughs> We're trying to get people to play whores here. So. Yeah, no, no, no. no. Uh, I mean, and, but, but I think that's what they, that they're a lot of them are going to want to hear is that, you know, there's not a lot of that crappy freaking shenanigans stuff that just, that, that goes around in this community. It's just not, it's not tolerated. So if you want to do something, you want to do something funny and themey, people are going to go for it. But if you want to just be a, a whack faggot, then they're not going to go for it. So uh, I do know a podcast, uh, not our podcast, that actually uh, talked about someone playing a pretty elite army so much that they actually stopped playing it and, and bought something a little bit more fluffy. So that's just sort of the power the community has to sort of dictate its own terms of playing. And it sounds terrible, I think maybe a little bit, but what it creates is an environment that I think everyone enjoys a lot more because it's self-centering. Yeah, and absolutely. Some of the groups out there have actually come up with different um, play styles or game systems, like uh, Centurion, to combat a lot of the the uh, excessive creep of different things, you know, of, of rules and whatnot that can can pop up in combinations. So, yep. So and that's the other. I mean, that's the other thing about the community is just things like community made rules that are. Now you're seeing them at major cons. You're seeing them everywhere. And this is something that came out of a podcast. That's the kind of community this is. It's a group of guys that really stick to it and uh, really care about what goes on in the game and want everybody to have a good time. So you you just have some amazing stuff that goes on here that you don't see in a lot of other games. Yeah. So in addition, I mean, I know we were saying that there's, you know, there's some kind of self-centering of of the, uh, the communities as a whole, but don't let that fool you. The community is super chill and even and more so really supportive. So if you come up with an idea, hey, I want to try this. I want to, what's this paint scheme look like? How, how can I do that? There's a ton of people that are right there at a moment's notice will, will you know, help you get to where you want to be. I, I, yes. I mean, if you're the type of player, if you are somebody looking at Horace Heresy from the inside and you're somebody that likes painting you, you like sense of community you like narrative story driven games uh the community is going to be there for you a hundred percent and not only that but they're going to support your creative geniuses through learning painting techniques or maybe even fluff storytelling um 
uh, sharing of rules. So this self-censorship is, is so much of a just, I guess, everyone's on board with, for the most part, yeah, definitely a central theme of what we expect as a community as, for games, uh, yeah, which is just a chill, fun time. Yeah, the, the key thing about that is that's not a detractor. That's a positive thing. Um, I think people that come to this game, I mean, me personally, I played a little bit of fantasy and I played a little bit of 4K, but I'm mainly a painter. And I can tell you that I was always intimidated going and playing at my local GW when I was down in Florida, because if I went in there and played and I put 40K menus on the table or, or fantasy menus on the table, whoever lined up at me in what was a friendly game at a GW was coming in there to win. And they were coming in there to win with unpainted plastic. And it just bugged the crap out of me. They, they, everything was just hyper aggressive and it was all about winning and it wasn't about the hobby. And what I find about Horus Harris that's different than other games in different communities is that it's more about the whole hobby. It's about the story. It's about painting and it's about getting together and having a good time. It's not about who wins. No, definitely not about who wins. Anyone who's ever played against me knows that it is definitely not about <laughs> who wins. Well, I mean, traditionally... I myself can say I've had some really great losses playing Zach. All right, uh, one last thing I want to talk about community is the event that you're going to find in the community. And just to reiterate, I think the Horse Heresy events are probably the, some of the best that you're going to find anywhere. Yeah. I know Games Workshop and 40K, are they're doing their, like... Um, uh, vigilous events where they have, you know, they're trying to go through and play games to tell a story. But this is this is on a completely different level. Um, you know, the individual games will have, you know, themes. They it'll, they'll be pitched in a way where it's more about the the story than than necessarily the game. Um, on a on a whole, I guess. All right. So, like with our our Michigan events, um, we're doing essentially kind of a. a slow burn kind of campaign so every every three months we'll uh get together we'll we'll have um a game we'll decide it's going to be a centurion game or um zone mortalis which is kind of like a um dungeon crawl kind of kind of game um or we could just have a big battle um army game and it everything goes in together to that will of every win and um, everything that happens in the game will affect the next game that we uh, th- we play down the you know down the road. Yep, I mean, and it's not just even at the local tournaments. We've got people now that are running international campaigns for Horus Heresy that are putting websites up where no matter where you're at, you could be in the middle of you know anywhere. You could be in the middle of the desert of Tunisia if you could find one other Horus Heresy player, and you could play a game, and you could go log in, and you could turn in the results of your game, and it could influence a campaign if you've logged in. Um, guys in this community are doing some amazing work to really make it no matter where you're at, you can stay in contact, you can have a sense of community and you can play this game and feel like, I mean, feel narrative play, feel that what you're doing and every time you, you come in there and you play is influencing a greater story, which is what the, the 30 K game is really more about. Seriously. Just, uh, next time you're at an event and, uh, there's a horse or sea section, just go walk over there and you'll get. And this is the exact same vibe that we're feeding to you right now about community. And uh, they'll probably talk to you about it. We'd love to talk about our hobby, don't we, guys? Oh, yes, we do. 
so the, you know, the second big thing about the horse heresy community is just the painting and conversion work that you're going to see in people's armies. It is altogether a different standard than you typically see. I mean, even in day-to-day play, if you go to somebody's house for a garage hammer and 30 K, typically you're going to line up against a painted army that's painted beautifully and is a labor of love for somebody. Um, and this is something you don't see in a lot of the other systems, not to bad mouth them, but uh, a lot of people who play those other systems, they buy a bunch of plastic models, they barely glue them together, they may get a coat of primer, and then they dump them on the table. And th- the fact of the matter is, those systems move differently than 30K does. The, the rules are constantly changed, armies are constantly changed. So what the newest thing that's cool is, is constantly changing. So that's one of the reasons why people probably move on, where we're just so much more stable in our rules and our, our armies. I think, just give an example, at Adepticon last year, 2019, if you walked through the Horus Heresy room, you saw thematic, beautifully painted tables. You saw thematic, beautifully painted armies, often on display boards. You saw just wonderful-looking conversions. You would not believe it, but the, 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 the whole layers of paint and the whole layers of standard into just every aspect of the hobby and uh, is really... Uh, up just 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 that much higher so much of it is due to i mean the community talks about the hobby and encourages each other getting back to community oh absolutely i mean i I can remember last year actually the year before last at adepticon the table next to me looking over and it was a it was an imperial fist player who was playing against an iron hands player and the imperial fist player had a imperial fist that was standing on an Iron Warriors flag. And the Iron Warriors player had a dead Imperial fist with an Iron Warrior sitting on it drinking a beer. <laughs> Those were conversions they had done that they were playing in their little grudge match. I mean, it's just stuff like that. The detail that went into those models were hilarious. I mean, it's, it's, it is just altogether a different level. And I'm amazed being a Mechanicum player, some of the crazy stuff that I see every year um, across the table from me and other 30K Mechanicum players that they bring to Adepticon. It's just just incredible stuff, the way they, they do their conversions. Some of this stuff is just mind-boggling. I will, I will, I've noticed that people that come into the horse heresy community from outside, they get in and they maybe they'll say, well, I'm not going to spend that much time painting my army. I'm not, I don't really care about that. Six months from then, they are repainting their armies, putting more details into it. It's infectious. It really it, is. It is. I mean, because you don't like to line up against across the table and plop down crap when the guy across you's got something that just looks absolutely amazing. It makes you feel bad. You might do it one or two times just to, you know, and, and the community is cool about that. If you're learning to play and you're getting in, everybody's cool. I've even seen people play 40K armies with 30K rules for that first couple times to get their feet wet. But then, you know, after that, you know, people are going to start expecting you to bring a 30K force to the table. But it, it's just amazing what you line up against. And it, it, it raises everybody's level and standard of painting and conversion work when you're in this community. Yeah, we, it, it pushes you to want to do better or learn the technique um, that the next guy over had done. And that's, that's not to say that you won't find good painters playing 40K, but I would... And not to sound, you know, because I don't want to sound, you know, arrogant about this, but I think pound for pound, you have a much deeper um, drive to get the hobby standard up 
in Horus Heresy than you do over in in thirty k or in forty k. It it sort of reminds me of the attention to detail that you might find in some historical gaming, but with a better level of painting. I was just going to say that. That's awesome. I think you're right. Brett, do you come from a like historical gaming community? No, not no, not at all. But just you know, from my perspective, I think you know, there's certainly there's some communities out there in 40k that are really interested in painting good armies, and there's there's artists out there and gamers that have you know stellar armies in 40k. But I think maybe it's a 30k culture where it's sort of like this future history that you just want to get right, perhaps that inspires perhaps just a you know degree more attention to detail on the painting side that's just you know my observation from you know, the re- recent adepticon trip and the the folks that i've piled around with in 30k so far yeah you're absolutely correct even you know attention to detail to the models too maybe a particular mark of armor was only worn by that chapter that they're playing on the battlefield so they don't deviate from that yeah not i don't mean it in a grognard way you know when you, i think maybe there's there, there's that kind of weird you know old guy curmudgeon uh connotation when you say historical so i think in a very positive way when it comes to the painting and you know wanting to get it just right and uh you know the research comes from the books and trying to you know i think maybe a lot of the inspiration maybe comes from the from the uh from the novels and stuff i don't know that's kind of been my inspiration and motivation and i see it reflected you know in the events i've been you know the in the circles i've run in so far I mean, you're you're absolutely right, Brett. I mean, and, and you see that everywhere. And, and the one thing too that 30K has done that's that even branches off of that is while we do have this future historical, you know, theme behind everything, the 30K writers have gone out of their way to add things in to allow people to do things that are a little different or to be really inventive. I mean, you've got things like black shields now. You're starting to see those on the table more, which are space marines who kind of went off from their own chapter. Something happened to them during the heresy. They got cut off from their Primarch. They didn't agree with what was going on, and they kind of went off on their own, became, you know, some of them are space pirates, or some of them trying to set up their own domain. And you've got all the different Imperial militia troops. The militia armies you're starting to see on the table right now are just incredible. I mean, we last year we had a guy that had an entire squad's army that was made out of dwarf models, converted with sci-fi pieces, and honest to God, it was one of the most beautiful armies I've ever seen on the table. And by God, it was squats before, before, before Games Workshop brought squats back. I mean, it was oh just Oh my God. Wait, wait. Games Workshop brought squats back? Well, there's one in Necromunda, and there's rumor that we're going to have a couple uh, more. But well, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, really, you talk like fluff flies, the entire center of the galaxy, because of the, the, the gravity in the center of the Milky Way galaxy, was a giant squat empire before the empire... You know, the emperor came out and conquered it. Yep. So I mean, so, I mean you're seeing you're seeing really amazing stuff, and you're seeing a lot of latitude. Even though it's a historical game, you're seeing a lot of latitude to really do interesting things. Um, and people, by the way, the community works aren't so much hung up on winning that they'll only play something competitive. I mean, destroyers, which destroyers are marines that are basically they're pissed off at the world. They're they're at the end of freaking life in their chapter and their whole purpose is to go on the battlefield as a last resort and use really, really nasty weapons, um, rad weapons, phosphex, just stuff that just eats everything alive. Most of them have cancer. They're freaking riddled with freaking sores. And that, that one component was not competitive until the last fact we got, but people were still playing destroyers. And the reason they were playing destroyers because they're just freaking cool and they're fun to paint. So you still saw them on the table and it wasn't because, oh, that's not competitive, so I'm not going to play it. No, it was, 
oh, there's so much story behind those freaking miniatures. Even because the rules aren't great, I'm still going to play some of those guys. I mean, me personally, I was playing 10 of them with freaking with my um, Death Guard before they were cool. So I feel you right there with uh, Ashen Circle. You know, the unit, absolute garbage, but such a beautiful, fluffy narrative unit. I mean, this is the elite shock troopers of the Word Bearers Legion, whose sole purpose was to, like, infiltrate, like, religious sites on other planets and burn their religions to the ground. Re- <laughs> just, <laughs> just remove all traces of it, you know? I mean, that's that Ashen Circle. That's the whole point of it. And they really stunk until recently. And, and I still always took one. Not always, but I took one. I took one always frequently, you know? And it was just fun. Yeah, absolutely, because there's just so many converting and, and there's so much potential to make an army that almost plays and reads like the stories that you read. I mean, there, there's so much fluff that's surrounding the game that it leads to this conversion work. When I read Master of Mankind a couple of years ago, and that whole sequence where they talk about the building of the Archimandrite, which where they're, they're building a Mechanicum general to lead the Mechanicum armies inside the webway. And it's just grisly detail about how they're pulling this person's spine and brain out and implanting it in this freaking chassis and wiring it all together and making this super, super freaking soldier. And they said that in the, in there, they said it was a Domitar chassis. And as soon as I read that, I went online, I ordered a Domitar, I ordered an Archmagos and I started coming up with my current Archmagos. I was like, I've got to build a converted freaking Archmagos that's just like a god of the battlefield that's in this that's encased in this huge robot. And uh, oh, that's the kind of stuff you live for. I mean, it, it really inspires you to do some amazing stuff. That's still my yeah. favorite piece I've ever done. And it's just because of a couple lines in a book. <laughs> that uh, that character from that book really screwed things up in the webway. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, we can't win them all. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was regular Mechanicum too, not Dark Mechanicum. I'm Dark Mechanicum. My my, okay. my, my Magos is much better. It's <laughs> a, a good distinction, I suppose. Well, since since you guys are talking about thematic and, and the future history thing, I think that's probably a good way to dovetail into our third point, which is the story of the Horus Heresy. You can call it fluff, you can call it lore, but that's um, it's the, the goings-on of the Galactic Civil War. Um, that you're essentially part of when you're playing the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so well written. I mean, when they started the book series, because I was just on the fringes of playing 40K when the book series really came out, and it was the books that really started pulling me over. And I, was, I didn't have a lot of time to game or paint back then. I was, I was back and forth to Afghanistan, back and forth to Iraq, but I picked up that Horus Heresy series. And after I read those first three books, I was just like, this is what I want to do. But they weren't doing it yet. Um, there were some people that were doing some stuff like it. And that was at the time Forge World was still saying, you know, we don't know if we're ever going to do this. And then the moment I heard that book one betrayal was coming out and Horus Heresy was going to be a thing. I was like, that's what I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I dumped every other system I had and that's what I'm doing. I don't care if I have anybody else to play with. I'm building armies for 30K. And that's where I got hooked. So yeah, the Horus Heresy novels, there's, I think, 54 of those now. Is that right, guys? Yep. In fact, um, Solo War launches tomorrow on Audible, and it will be downloaded by me first thing tomorrow morning for my trip down to the MKA painting class. So that's what's yeah. going to keep me company. I'm about so, through Solar War right now. Wow. So 54 books. Uh, uh, it's just a huge library of backstory. It, it tells it from every perspective of the Horus Heresy, from every legion, uh, from non-legionnaires. I mean, 
I don't think there's anything more united. I guess that's a bad phrase. There's nothing more solidified in, in any other type of universe. I mean, sure, there's probably more 40K books, but it's not all telling the same story. Oh, yeah. I watched an interview with um, with um, ADB the other day. Um, uh, Dimsky Bowden. Ed Dimsky okay. Bowden, the guy that he's written a lot of horse heresy stuff. He started, I think, with Betrayer. But um, he started with 40K stuff, and he was so shocked when they pulled him over to the 30K team. And one of the things he said about it that's different when they're writing for 30K than when they're writing for anything else for Black Library is they get in a room, they have a dry erase board, they're all connected. There is this will between all of these really good writers, you know, I mean, huge names like Dan Abnett. I mean, the guy's writing Guardians of the Galaxy for crying out loud on the side while he's doing this other stuff. I'm just an amazing storyteller. And these guys are constantly going back and forth and saying, hey, will you put this in your book? Because I need it for my book. And that, that interview with him, it was like a, like a 15 minute interview he posted online the other day was just amazing. Cause he was talking about that whole process of how they sat in the room in Nottingham last year and plotted out as authors, how the solar war was going to go down and who was going to do what, and who was going to write what. And it, it is, it's just something you don't see in, in other book series. I mean, when you get 54 book series and I think we've had maybe eight, nine writers now writing for it, that level of cohesion that they put behind it is just incredible. Yeah, I think I think the entire uh, Horace Heresy line, not just the the you know the Black Library books, but the Black books from Forge World. Every every Legion has their own section in one of those Black books, and it details their history. It details um, notable battles. It, it you know the, what life you know what uh, what kind of planet they come from. Um, you get an idea of like the mindset of the people from that planet. The the detail that they put in there is is absolutely ridiculous. Um, every legion has their own feel. Um, so if you're playing if you're playing Imperial Fists, you're going to have a completely different outlook on your army than World Eaters or um, Thousand Sons or you know the the black ops kind of uh feel of raven guard things like that every any kind of possible army feel you that you want to have with your army there is a legion for you yep and and black library does a good job too i mean on their website you can go in and you can say hey i'm interested in world eaters and on their 30k site and you plug that in and it will bring up everything that's got world eaters in it and you know it's going to start you off with you know books like betrayer or if you want to be Sons of Horus, it's going to start you off, of course, with a, the starting trilogy. But no matter what you want to play, they will they will show you what you need to look at um, to get interested and get pulled into the fluff. So you don't have to read through 54 books if you don't have the time. And, and I think the beauty of the books, too, is they do a really good job. It, you could start in the middle with any one of these books and not be lost. There's a full story in every one of the books. Um, yeah, I found that even with Prospero Burns. And um, what was the other one with the, the Space Wolves in it? The other part of that series, the book into it, is Prospero Burns. What was the other one? The Thousand Sons. So, um, but even in both <laughs> of those books, even though those two books are telling the same story from a different side of the coin, you could pick up any one of those books and not feel like you had to read the other book. There was a complete story that was told for you um, in that book. So there, it's, you don't be don't be intimidated by the fact there's 54 books out there. Um, you can come in at any point of this and, and pick it up, or if if Tomorrow you decide, I want to play World Eaters. Just go figure out what World Eaters do. Talk to somebody in the community. They'll point you in the right direction. 
Yeah, there's another another book. Um, Galaxy in Flames has a scene in that, which then you get to see uh, two books later um, in uh, Flight of the Eisenstein. It's the same battle, but from two different perspectives. So you get to actually see a, an actual moment um, repeated again from from a di- you know a different character's perspective, and it, it it's really cool because it just adds even more to that uh, um, to that story. And, and you're constantly hitting things in the books, too. I mean, I know for me personally, you know, a book like Vulcan Lives, when I picked it up, I was kind of like, eh, I'm not a Salamanders guy, but I'm going to go ahead and read it because I'm about there in a series. And I, and I was always a Death Guard guy. And then halfway through the book, we jumped back in time to Isvan 5 with the Salamanders fighting the Death Guard. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool because you're, you're getting these glimpses of your favorite Legion. That are they just pop up in different places in the books, and they're just they're just mind boggling the way that they're written, and they really pull you in. I will say this: you don't have to read the books as well to really get it. I mean, you can just from the black books or even the red books, you get more than enough fluff. But oh, absolutely! You'll probably be lured to the fluff. You'll probably be lured to the books after you get that taste of it. I don't know about you guys, but you guys remember like the old like uh, 40k rule books where they talked about the Horus Heresy and the Great Crusade. I always I thought do. that was the most fascinating part of all the fluff. That's yeah, the that's reason why I haven't gotten rid of my rule books because half of my old rule books have really good story stuff in them. I mean, you go back and I still go back and read some of that stuff and flip through it and the artwork too that's out there. Um, it's just amazing stuff. Man, one last thing about uh, the story about Horus Heresy. It's just a touch on the campaigns that they put in the in the black books are just absolutely top notch. Uh, I think Zach touched a little bit about it, but it breaks down planets that you're playing on, uh, details about those planets, the individual campaigns. They create new story. They create they create unique like campaign. They create unique campaign missions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Every black book story is bared out in a series of campaign missions you can play through. So like I'm reading book eight right now and I'm going through everything that happened on Cygnus. And because of what happened to the, the, um, the, the, the blood angels on Cygnus, they go through and they give you all of these different campaign portions that you can play through, like the defense of the red tier, you know, when, when Sanguinius fell and they took him back to the red tier and they were trying to protect him. There is a mission in the campaign with the black book for protecting the red tier. Um, all of that stuff is in there. So if you go all the way back to like betrayal, you're fighting those battles at Isfahan three. It tells you how to fight each portion of that war with those armies. Yeah, My so. personal favorites is when, you know, book, uh, book five, when the word bearers absolutely just trash Kelf, you know, you oh, get absolutely. to read, you get to relearn oh, all those stories. <laughs> you get to actually play a mission where you burn uh, civilians or you know retake a space station uh which Rubu Gilman did yeah if i might interject i'm really excited so we have a local guy that's kind of between jeremiah and myself who uh recently switched from night lords to death guard because death guard are awesome and this means we now get to play through the campaign from book one i've only waited nine years to do this and i can so finally do it you gonna play loyalist on traitor death guard? Yep. Oh, that is a beautiful thing. Wow. That's a that's how Zach and I actually, um, I guess, became friends and, and started playing horse heresy. It was exactly that. He played ultramarines and I played word bears, and those two are you know, what they call that uh, arch nemesis. And... So it was a lot of a lot of you burning things down and him crying in a cave. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but uh, you know, and, and I was like, "Hey, man, let's let's play the missions out book five. Let's play the betrayal of Kalth campaign." I, I, I'm a sad report. We haven't uh, finished it yet, though, Zach. We gotta get on that. Yeah, I think aren't we at the the mission where we actually need uh, Mechanicum? Mechanicum, yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess I'm gonna have to be down for that. Mm-hmm. So, but they're loyalist Mechanicum in that story, aren't they? No, no, they're traitor. They're they're okay. on the word bearer side. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can throw some demons and some engines. And we can play. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the famous book story from Betrayal Calf, where Rupu Gilliman comes to the space station to retake it from the word bearers. He gets all the way to the control room with his elite squad, and uh, none other than himself, Corfuran, which is like uh, Logar's stepdaddy, actually defeats Rupu Gilliman, a Primarch. And as he's preparing to kill him, or he takes one last chance to like convert him, and he also happens to do that classic villain monologue. <laughs> and <laughs> while he's monologuing, <laughs> Reboot Gilliman, you know, like uh, casts him off and like almost kills him himself. And uh, he does get away, but it's just a great story. It's just you know, you know right now, you... right now, Corferon's got Doctor Evil's voice for me. <laughs> That's, I imagine that's actually how he would sound. Who, uh, who's that? Who's that mega church pastor? Uh, uh, Which one? Houston. Um, the the one that buy the jet with the, the church donations. Oh God, what is his name? It's the guy in Houston that when the the, the city flooded, he oh, wouldn't even let people in his church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I kind of imagine like Corfran is. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> <laughs> up there. <laughs> you know, this monologuing and uh <laughs> there, goes, there, there goes our evangelist freaking 30k players <laughs> <laughs> so anyways well if that offended you uh play word bear no i'm sorry play ultramarines <laughs> mix it up my factions again so no but the campaign portion of those books is great i mean every one of the books has something that's just really cool in it and you can play through just about everything you're going to find in the fluff you can play through it and it gives you systems to play it and it levels it it makes it it makes it i'm not i want to say fair but it makes it really themey and really fun to play so and really unique it's different than you know playing rolling up the six missions that you typically roll up to play um 30k uh yes for our next part the rules for a lot of you who played previous editions of 40k, these rules would be really right in your ballpark. There's not a whole lot of changes, just a couple odds and ends. Uh, everything so why else is that, is, Brian? Uh, it's because when 30k originally released, it was an extension of, I believe, late 5th edition or early 6th. And they shared the primary 40k rulebook up until recently when. 8th edition 40k happened, and they deemed it necessary to give Horus Heresy its own Age of Darkness rulebook. So we have a divergence. So what we have now is an entirely different rule set from 8th edition. Yep, correct. So whenever you hear somebody say we're playing 7th edition 40k, we're not. We're playing version 1.1 or 1.2 of freaking Horus Heresy. But for the record, it is based on 7th edition. Yes, clears up some of the different issues that, that existed and elaborates uh, with some new rules as well. Especially the grenade issue. So there might be a lot of listeners that actually aren't familiar with a previous edition of this game or even Warhammer in general. So let's talk a little bit 
what's 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 so great about Horus Heresy rules? I mean, for me personally, one of the reasons why I could never go to eighth and not to badmouth eighth, but I like to play tanks. Um, I like to have maneuver elements on the board, and I do not like it when armor values and armor facings don't matter because I think it removes an entire level of tactical play and strategic play that really makes the game interesting. Um, when, when things have the same armor value all the way around, they can shoot backwards. That, that's where it just starts to get a little hokey for me. Not that, you know, playing, moving space, space guys around a board and measuring it with tape measures isn't a little hokey to begin with, but it's just, it's, it, it removes a level of interest for me when you take away that whole aimer, armor facing aspect of the game. So you have that hull mounted weapon on your front hull plate and it can suddenly shoot. 360 it's kind of just not there right now exactly it removes that whole you know i i'm a kid that grew up with two movies so it's that whole kelly's hero moment of can the tiger tank get around fast enough to kill freaking oddball and the sherman i mean that's one of the reasons why i play war games i mean there are times when a sherman can beat a tiger but it's got to get behind it and and i think things like that matter and it's those those parts that make the game kind of magical when you you can maneuver a unit that wouldn't typically beat something into its rear and and take that one shot and then get that one shot kill that blows up a Spartan because you shot it in its rear end and inside the Spartan with somebody's Primark and all of his boyfriends. I mean, it's just those are the moments you live for in, in 30K. And you don't get that kind of enjoyment in, in 8th edition. Yeah. You know, Chris, now I have this stuck in my head that every time I roll a 1 in that situation, I'm going to scream taint. <laughs> if you remember the reference i absolutely remember the reference man I, I i i could quote you book line and verse of kelly's heroes that is one of my favorite movies yeah so the, the, not to you know pull off that but the rules give you because there's a, you have to worry about facing everything else there the rules are a little more crunchier you have more you know details where things you do matter a lot more than than I guess a little less less forgiving uh, in that respect. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the big pushes with Eighth Edition was to get to make the game simpler. Um, and I don't know if that for me, I don't think that was necessarily a, a direction I wanted to go in with at all. I mean, one of the things I find interesting is having unique units that have unique special rules that are associated to them. And they've done away with most of that. I mean, you have these unit cards, and I really don't know. I won't lie. I don't know how 8th works a whole lot. I just know uh, they got I, rid of... I, I don't know about that. They, 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 early on in 8th edition, that was probably definitely the case with the indexes. But they've released, like, uh, basically every army has a, so a new index now. Decided to get the rid new... of special rules, and then now they've added special rules back in. They just call it something else. Well, they do have special <laughs> rules, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but the, the entry, the entries, maybe will have some sort of yeah. you know ability or something like that. It'll be described at the entry, but uh, things are still customized. Um, you're still there's still some level of intricacy there, but the horse hairs rules are much bigger or deeper. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, was that armor facing. Have you guys? We kind of remember the meta from 7th edition Warhammer 40k. It, it was very dominated by giant monstrous creatures because the monstrous creature rules were much superior than vehicles. They were just way more durable uh, and, and mobile. So in Horus Heresy, that's not really a worry in Horus Heresy. I mean, for the most part, people are playing Legionnaires. We all have tanks. And there's not a lot of monstrous creatures. And even if they are, they're not 
crazy powerful. They all, yeah. I mean, even even the Mechanicum, which we might uh, cry a little bit, at least I do, about being Snowflake uh, whack army, whack <laughs> when it all costs. They are vulnerable. I mean, their, their stuff has like four or five up saves. Exactly. We don't have power armor. So they're not yeah, unbeatable. But anyway, so that's just, just my elaboration on, on rules, uh, just for the vehicle facings and why that is all of a sudden is worth more in horse heresy. And I do agree with you, Chris. I, I like vehicle facings. Like it's an interesting decision when you're sitting there and you're like, I got to shoot at this target, but I don't want to present my weak side face to this. Yep. You know, you have to make a choice. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it's, it goes all the way back to playing chess when I was a kid. I mean, part of the interest of playing a game of chess was getting your knight out in a position where you force somebody else to make a decision of, do I face him and attack him or do I attack him? And you can do that in 7th edition or in, in Horus Heresy in ways that you can't in 8th. Because I've watched people play 8th and it just doesn't matter. You can't put two juicy units out and put them more than 45 degrees apart from a unit and force them to make a decision. Because they can shoot at both of you. <laughs> and, and the armor facing doesn't matter. So, I mean, it, it, it puts people in a quandary in a, in a, and it makes movement really matter in the game. And, and what I see in some of the other war games that I watch play is, is movement doesn't matter as much, and it, a lot more of it comes down to dice rolling and whatever army is best at the moment. Why would you think that movement doesn't matter in another war game? So, well, like I said, I've, I've watched the guys that, I mean, watching 8th edition played up at the, the game place that I have up here up at Galactic Toys. And, and you'll have guys where you've got a tank in the middle of the board, and guys are maneuvering two elements and it doesn't matter because he's got machine spirit and he can shoot one way and then he can turn his turret and fire the other way. And, and he doesn't have to worry about the fact that both of them have a weapon that could, that can pierce his armor because his armor is the same way all around. So he doesn't have to figure out which way he's got to face that frontal arc of his armor. And then once he decides that he's got to pick which unit he's going to engage because his, his weapons can't range both of them. And that, that is a, that is a huge tactical difference that doesn't exist in a lot of the other systems. And on the flip side, I would say, too, an advantage 30K has is, while the rules are crunchy, for somebody who's just getting into it, they aren't so crunchy to a point where it's it's next to impossible to understand it at all in just a few games. Like, games such as Infinity, perhaps, you know, they're very, very, very in-depth, and you can do some amazing things with that rule set, but it also, you know, you take multiple game sessions to even comprehend the basic functions of that game 30k you could pick up and just a handful of games yeah to a point where you can start chewing on it yourself and figuring out what you want and what you like yeah i will say this though uh the it's horse heresy is a you go i go for entire terms and um I'm going to be completely honest, even though we're trying to sell you, the listener, as to why you should play Horse Heresy. I do think that is one negative to Horse Heresy at the moment. Yeah, I, I now that I've played some Adeptus Titanicus with Brian, and I'm starting to get into it, I do like having the individual unit actions a little bit. But um, and, that's still something that doesn't exist over in 40k. So, I mean, For the record, no- listeners, yeah, Adeptus Titanicus is uh, another 30k game. Uh, eight millimeter scale Titan battles, and, and we do cover this game on our podcast. Uh, I do believe everyone here now plays it, such as Titanicus. And Brett, do you play? I'm uh, looking at building a Legio for 
the next trip to Adepticon, perhaps. So he's going to play. It's an amazing game. Um, another one, maybe we should have a podcast of why they should play that too. What do you guys think? That sounds great to me because I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. just now getting into it and it's fun. Yeah, look forward to the future 500 worlds, uh, why you should play Adeptus Titanicus. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so anyway, so horse heresy rules are fun, you know, and um, some of it you may not like as much as maybe other games because it is sort of a, an older version of 40K that's been around for a while, structure-wise. But uh, the community makes it great, and they really do. And um, you're not going to find a lot of abuse of the rules. Um, people are pretty forgiving and uh, if you've never played a game before people will literally hold your hand They'll probably even like uh, pick you up and carry you over the oh, threshold we had right guys yeah. bedroom we had guys so this probably, year playing zone mortalis at adepticon that that have never had never played a game of freaking horse heresy before and and it was it's fine you know just show up bring some amazingly painted crap and we're gonna have a good time yeah we had that at uh, both the um, horse heresy tournament and the escalation uh, event where a couple people showed up and it was their first time ever playing and you know everyone took them by their hand and and helped them through and everything else and they were you know back, they wanted to come back for more so it's looking good gentlemen that's uh, all we have left to talk about rules but uh, just to reiterate uh, we've talked about community how awesome it is the painting and conversion work that you're going to see in the horse heresy community why it's top-notched talk about the story the the amount of story the, the amount of story and campaigns and narrative events you're going to see we're going to talk we talked about the horus heresy rules why we like them uh, and uh, one last thing i want to touch on is the, the release creep is slower so i don't know about you gentlemen but you feel less stressed to keep on top of things when rules don't update that frequently yeah and, and, uh, and it's absolutely i mean it's you get to play your army and you can you can pick up one army and you can play it forever. And the army's never going to be completely out of date. I mean, you may have one or two characters that's a little bit old and needs to be updated. But we're starting to see with what Forge World did with the last FAC release. I mean, they they went out there and they looked at a couple units that were really lacking out there. And you know, F Phoenix Warders or um, you know, Destroyers and and Ashen Circle. And they said, you know, these are units people want to play. And to be quite honest, they were put out in books that were earlier and their rules just aren't really good. So what did they do? They fixed them. And um, we're starting to see that more and more. They're, they're really starting to try to, to tune the game for everybody and make sure it's uh, not a level of playing field, but make sure that everything has a place and everything is interesting to play. So, yeah, my point on the release creep, if you're someone like me, and uh, perhaps you used to in the past, or you still do now, and you play multiple game systems, it can be really intimidating and even sort of defeating if one of those games that maybe you only play casually is updating so frequently that it, it becomes frustrating to stay on top of. And I don't think that's something you have to worry about, Horace Heresy. No, most of the, in general, the black books, um, at most, at, at its biggest point we're only coming out um twice a year once towards the beginning and then once toward you know somewhere around the middle or is it middle and then end of the year remember exactly um yeah they're going to try to get back to that schedule of course with the the bligh you know hiccup they fell off that but they're they're i know that the word on on book nine so what is the bligh, what what is the bligh hiccup well alan bligh who is the who's the god of fluff for everything 30k and did most of the writing on the first seven books that we had passed away 
um, about a year and a half ago. And that was really a stutter. That was a hit for the community. Um, Bly was, for all intents and purposes, the godfather of 30K. And he passed away, unfortunately, of cancer. And it was really sudden. With It would be his, was pancreatic cancer. And it was just, I mean, boom, he had it. And boom, he was, he was out of the picture. And it really, really set the entire um, Forge World community back. I mean, they were on their heels. A lot of the stuff that, that they were doing was, quite honestly, in his head. And, um, and you know, just a sad passing. But they, they started to recover. Um, it took them a while to get Book 8 out. We went, what, almost two years without a black book. But book eight, I'm reading it right now, and it's it's a quality product. It's just it's absolutely amazing the stuff they put in there. At the same and time, and as a there. reminder, you can win book eight if you simply <laughs> like and share our Facebook message for this <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> so those are the reasons why 30k is freaking sweet. And if you're listening to this podcast, if you've never played 30K before, I highly encourage you, if any of this sounded interesting, to contact us or just to take that leap into the community. All of us here, I know Zach, Brian, Chris, and I, and, and, and probably Brett too, I'm just speaking for him, somebody I don't really know. But anyways, more than willing to help you guys. I mean, we will provide our knowledge. Uh, we will help you get into this game if that's something that interests you feel free to reach out to us absolutely man i mean especially if, if you guys got painting or weathering questions um not to tip my website but addicted to resin.blogspot.com i mean pop on over there i've got i've got tutorials on how to paint just about everything 30k um if there's something you don't see on there and you got questions about if i don't paint it um i can definitely point you in the right direction and i'm completely open and taking questions from the entire community so this, pod, this podcast, 500 Worlds, we have hobby episodes uh, where Chris and, and I sit down and sometimes Brian, and we discuss tips and tricks on how to paint. Yes, we do. Uh, and if you have questions on rules, you can contact our rules lawyer, Brian. If you have questions on how to do paperwork and to be the most insufferable legion alive, you can ask our ultramarine player, Zach. Clearly, I know how to get under people's skins. And if you want to talk to somebody awesome, I'm always available. You can still call me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I was wondering how long it would take for uh, the, um, the, the, the whole freaking Zach invited three traders to do a podcast with him freaking thing to come up. But it sounds like that's, that's about where we're at. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that through. This sounds like a sweet 80s sitcom. <laughs> Three traders and the loyalist. And we're back with the 500 Worlds podcast with your hosts, Zach, Jeremiah, Chris, Brian, and our special guest, Brett. Uh, the next section, we are going to interview Brett, who is a new Horse Heresy player. So, Brett, um, you've been into 40K, I know, a long time. We've been good friends for several years. Um, and this year you crossed over into 30 K for Adepticon. We just want to ask you a couple questions about why you got into the, the, the system and to start off with, um, what's your history with wargaming and why 30 K? Uh, well, I started playing 40 K, uh, right when six dropped. So I played a fair amount of six and early seventh, uh, but never played 30 K. And the chief reason I got into 30 K was from the constant, constant insistence of, uh, traitorous influences like yourself <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you know i finally i finally succumbed to uh his constant badgering to um 
trial 30k and to uh, come to Adepticon. So that, that was really kind of what cinched the deal was the trip to Adepticon. I started working on some, uh, some you know, some stuff so I could dabble. I, I, I made a about a thousand points for Zoe Mortalis, and we played that here at uh, the last Adepticon for a couple yeah, of days. I mean, just for everybody's knowledge, I mean, Brett says he dabbles in um, 40k. Brett has some of the most amazing 40k ultramarines I've ever seen in my life. Um, this is a guy that 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 started reading a couple novels, walked into a games workshop one day, and um, just struck up a conversation with the games workshop owner. And within, I would say, six months, was starting to win painting contests down there at the um, the Jacksonville um, Games Workshop. So um, I will never forget your your scout that you did for the Ultramarines with the lit up battlefield with the LEDs with the, the, the fire on the battlefield going back and forth. I was like, wow, that is one of those amazing miniatures. I mean, he's got like ultramarine digital camouflage walking through the freaking ashes of a city. Oh man, Brett's a, Brett's a I, ultramarine player. I think this podcast this. is no, 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 over. Nope, nope. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> Did you guys hear that noise? I, I think it's Zach and Brett doing a double Dutch rudder. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, he is a dirty, dirty, dirty loyalist, but um, I love the guy to death. So, yeah, I'm really kind of interested in Space Wolves for my next foray to 30K. So, I did some well, salamanders for this first come trip. Hang out with me, man. Um, I play those Space Wolves. Okay, I need to get right. <laughs> I, need, I need some tutelage. So, so did you read the the 30K books? Is that what really got you in the community? Yeah, you know, going back how I got really started, I had a friend of mine uh, who was, he's an avid reader, and I had just finished reading, probably, gosh, this was years ago, I probably just finished reading a bunch of, you know, like the R.R. Martin series, and then some stuff that was similar to that, just kind of exhausted these uh, these series of fantasy books. And I went to my buddy and said, you know, I'm looking for something that has, you know, some meat to it, like a lot of books in a series, but maybe something sci-fi, do you got any ideas? And he said, oh, have you ever heard of Horace Heresy? I said, no, never heard of it. So he gave me a book, he gave me the very first book. And uh, I read that and I was like, wow, this is great, man. This is perfect. And the thing I really liked about it from the very beginning was how some of it, so much of it was familiar. You know, if you know anything about fantasy, it was kind of like fantasy in space. And uh, anyway, so I was geeking out with him about it after I read the first book. And he said, well, you know, this is all based on a game. Well, you know, I didn't know that. So I met him at the uh, GW store. We walked around. He didn't have any models. I think he played when he was in the army a little bit, but really was more familiar with the books. And uh, so we went together to check it out and I was blown away, man. It took me right back to when I was like nine or 10 years old. And uh, I can remember going to hobby shops and toy stores and stuff. And sometimes they'd have the glass case with the little pewter D and D figurines. And uh, I can remember as a kid having a lot of joy, you know, purchasing these little, you know, probably $1 or $2 figs and painting them with uh, my, my airplane model (laughs) paints and just really enjoyed that. Well, now the beauty of it was, there's so there was you know so many resources and the appropriate tools and you know I'm smart enough to do a little bit of research and figure out techniques and stuff and that's it just started a real a real joy of painting for me and you know of course the IP is amazing in the lore and everything so just really fell in love with it and 40k has been my vehicle primarily I have you know done a lot of painting on uh, 40k models and uh, you know, the 30k obviously has a there's a ton of interest in it for me just because I've, I'm an avid reader of the novels I've read practically everything that's been published so far. But um, I was really unfamiliar with the game system, but this is changing. So, I mean, for you, what are the big differences between 30K and 40K? I mean, what do you see in the differences for you personally between the two systems? Uh, well, it's kind of like we were talking about before, it's sort of that future history aspect of it for me. 
I think uh, more than 40K, I get a lot of inspiration from the books, the novels. Whereas I don't really, I've read some 40K stuff, but you know, I've, I've kind of devoured the 30K novels. And um, you know, especially lately, in the last couple of years writing, that the story's been, on, it's on a whole new level now. You know, they've really come up with a process to deliver a product. I think that that's, it's pretty fun to read. It's, you know, it's my mind candy. But uh, any, that, any stories you think in particular that really stand out? Uh, Master of Mankind was one of my favorites. I think that one stands out uh, for me. Uh, I'm, I just read uh, Wolfsbane, and I really enjoyed that. I think that's kind of got me turned on even more to, to uh, Space Wolves. But uh, I, it's just the characters and, you know, the, the movie that I kind of make in my head. I want to turn around and put that into models. Yeah, I, I I totally get that. And like I said earlier, that was that was one of the things that keeps me energized. And uh, that same book, Master of Mankind. I mean, it started an entire new facet of the Mechanicum for me, just because of of how well it was written and how much it draws you in. So I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I I know the fluff is what gets a lot of people, and um, it's what got me, and it sounds like it's what got you too. Well, we were talking about uh, what what army to kind of start with for this trip to Adepticon. And I had just finished reading Master of Mankind probably not too long before we started kicking around ideas. And I was like, man, Sisters of Silence and Custodes, <laughs> just because of so the images from that book with those pitched battles in the webway, I was like, oh, man, these guys are awesome. But, uh, you know, it's easy, I think, when you read those stories to see, to want to recreate, recreate scenes. From, from Sounds them. like you need to find a demon player just to recreate yourself. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yep, that's that's definitely coming. I'm gonna pull all of my demons out because when I did play some 40k, that's what I was mainly playing. So um, I started pulling all the demons out the other day and dusting them off. And um, the demon rules that are coming out in book eight are just insane. You can build anything you want. It's just absolutely amazing. That's so, right. So, so Brett, I'll definitely get down there. Me and Brett are gonna have an event. Um, we do it every summer. Um, I, I actually travel down to visit my parents down in Alabama and, and one weekend out of that, I, I fly, I go down to Brett's and we meet up with some of the other local 30 K players and, um, we're going to be doing celebrating what we call brews and pew pews or Brett con four here, um, in late June. So we'll, we'll, maybe, maybe we'll look at doing that. We'll do some, a little bit of battle in the webway stuff. I'll bring some demons. Wait a minute. Did you say brews and pew pews? Yeah, that's uh, exactly what no, I liked Bretcon Four. That was that was. Bretcon Four. Four is pretty good. We started calling it Bretcon on the first one, and they got a Bretcon Four. And then Brett, I think Brett's one of those guys that's just. If you ever meet Brett, he's one of the most humble human beings you'll ever meet, which is surprising because he's like super black belt ninja ranger. Um, he's one of the toughest guys I know, but he's just really humble. And I don't think he ever liked calling it Breadcon. So he's like, Hey man, when you guys come down for brews and pew pews, <laughs> I was like, Hey, that that's actually pretty funny too. Brews and pew pews. So <laughs> that's really what we do is push blast plastic spacemen around a board and go pew, 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 pew. <laughs> so yeah. let's, uh, let's continue with this interview. <laughs> Brett. All right, you've talked about that you've been in 40k a bunch, but uh, what is it about 30k that you like over 40k? And what if people are like in playing 40k right now? What would you say? Well, this is the best part of 30k, and that's why you should come switch. Well, I, we talked about 
community a lot. I'd say that's the number one thing that's you know drawn me. I mean, after my experience at Adepticon, and you know, we talked a lot about how you know people take it easy and it's more maybe fluffy or narrative. But I'm telling you, I, I met guys who clearly knew the game very well, were very competitive, and had optimized lists for the game they were playing. But there were no field badsies. I mean, I, I was playing with guys who who were uh, clearly echelons above where I'm at, and um, but we still had so much fun. And uh, you know, I, I was massacred horribly. But I, I think in, in one of my um, one of my uh, reviews or whatever, you know, we submitted feedback on our opponents or whatever, and they, they used that to figure out who would win the Albear. One of my opponents, I think it was Doug. I said he uh, you know, he beat me mercilessly, but I felt like I was getting a hug the whole time. You know, it was <laughs> pretty true. <laughs> it, was a, it was a really pretty good time. I had an excellent time in all the games I played in two yeah. days at uh, Adepticon and. Uh, you know, that really kind of sealed the deal. So I would say, I mean, not, you know, I've met great people in 40K and stuff, but it's just been in a different level, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember when Brett told me he wanted to go to Adepcon, and, and I at first thought he was going to do an Ultramarine Army. And he goes, no, man, I think I'm going to change it up, and I want to do some Metallic Armor, and I think I'm going to do Salamanders. And as, as soon as he told, told me that, what jumped out to me was um, Jake Bussey of A Covenant of Fire. And I said, hey, you know, let me let me see if Jake Bussey is available. So I, I sent Jake like out of the blue an email and say, hey, I'm this guy. I've got a buddy who's this guy and he wants to play freaking Salamanders for the first time at Adepticon. And how many emails did you have back and forth with Jake working on the list? I mean, it was. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he was super gracious. Yeah. He was like I instant like best friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the community. Yeah, it was really awesome. He was awesome because I knew nothing. I didn't have any of the books. I really had no idea how to start. And uh, I didn't even understand really what I needed to build for the uh, for the tournament, tournament packet. But uh, he was really insightful and got me started in the right way. And it was fun, too. I think you, you know, you're talking about how I switched from my normal jam to doing salamanders. That was another part of it, too. It just felt like for this adventure, doing something totally different was the right thing to do. You know, just try you know, try some other painting technique. It was, it was a ton of joy in the whole process from the painting to selecting the army, you know, and trying out the new system. There was a lot of things going on that made that all a ton of fun. And I'm still kind of evolving because like I said, I'm thinking about switching it up. You know, I want to try uh, after the early experience, maybe try uh, Space Wolves and go down that route. So there's so much to do. So is yeah, that what you're thinking about doing for next year's Adepticon is definitely doing Space Wolves? I, I think so. I need help getting started because, you know, again, you know, making a list and all that stuff is going to be a challenge for me this early in. But uh, it's, it's kind of where I'm thinking. I, want, I didn't see a lot of that when I was up there. And uh, I think there's some, some fun painting opportunities on that. I, I kind of don't want to do Ultramarines just because I do a lot of Ultramarines. I'm still, I'm still painting tons of 40K Ultramarines. So it might be fun to just go down pass a little bit with a 30k that's where i'm thinking that's where my head's at right now did you hear that zach you can actually paint something other than ultra brains i paint <laughs> titans and not blue <laughs> <laughs> they're mostly white with some blue well yes but still point is they're not blue i needed to find out what legion you played anyway zach because i want to make sure i put the head of one of your titans on one of my mortar spaces oh uh suit of there no, he go. doesn't play Sutavara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't be ridiculous. He would never play the bad guy. Anyways, uh, so uh, anyways, uh, so back to the interview. So that, actually, Brett, you had a really good segue there as you were talking about kind of uh, learning the ropes. And the next question for you really is, um, as a new Horus Heresy player, what recommendations would you have for fellow new Horus Heresy players 
that you could, what sort of wisdom could you pass upon them? Oh yeah. From my own experience, I can say you really got a tough game with somebody who knows the game and has the books and can really help you get started. You talked about, you know, Chris, how, how Chris helped me along and, you know, guys like Jake Pussy uh, helped me out. Uh, I think that's critical because it's, in my experience, it's, it's a little tougher to find out how to get started. It's not as easy as like, you know, picking up the, your, um, you know, your faction codex for 40 K and just plug and play with the points and stuff. I, I find it a little bit more challenging than that. Cause there's, you know, different source books and stuff. And uh, some of those are a little harder to get a hold of, but uh, there's folks out there that are willing to help. And it sure helped me get right, get right and get started. And I think um, we, we started playing zone mortality. So I, I haven't played, you know, really big games, which is probably appropriate because, you know, a smaller game of zone mortality. So rules are similar, but it's not as much stuff to manage from a rule standpoint. So it's, it's easy to, uh, to start, you know, kind of that crawl, walk, run approach. It certainly worked for me. I felt pretty confident the whole time I was at, uh, playing Zone Mortalis. That was only after playing you know, two, maybe three games at our uh, last get-together last summer. And, uh, you know, I played some sixth and early seventh. So the rules were familiar, and it kind of came back to me pretty easily. I, did, I never felt totally clueless or anything. Uh, but starting out kind of that small scale was fun. I, I'm hopeful that, you know, landing on the right army, something that really inspires me and uh, is fun to paint and all that, that, you know, like Chris and I have talked about, you know, I can start with Zone Mortalis, but then, you know, it, it can grow into something bigger. You know, my collection can grow and eventually, you know, have a large enough army to, you know, field a more significant game. But I, I would recommend finding somebody who can help you get started and look at ways to play introductory games. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. That's a really good recommendation. So uh, with that in mind, would there be anything different that you would do getting into the hobby again and maybe some sort of regret that you wish you hadn't done? Uh, I can't think of anything that I regret. I mean, uh, I know I mentioned that I'm probably not going to stick with the salamanders, but I didn't. I wasn't beholden to that. It was sort of a trial, so I don't feel like uh, it wasn't like I was counting on that to be the army I would stick with forever. It's a small force anyway. I, I really wanted to try a new painting technique something that really deviated from what i'm doing that was fun uh and no no loss there because i have a really cool you know thousand point army of salamanders it's pretty fun to kick around and uh i think the long term i want to do something else and, and that's really just a consequence of you know it's just kind of guessing like i don't want to do loyalist what's what's available right now what, what are their models for i like salamanders let's do that and then i got real inspired about the idea of painting in a di- you know using a different technique so i just went with that uh, I guess the only thing I would do different would would be uh, I don't know I, I didn't go into it with this idea that I was going to stick with that in the first place, but um, it'd be kind of cool if I if the points I already had built and painted were something that was going to you know be part of a larger future army. But I don't, I don't think that's likely. I, I don't know that I'm going to stick with with the Salamanders. So I'm, I'm curious about some other loyalist factions we talked about, so let me try that. I could point you in the direction of Shattered Legions. Yeah, you can still use those. Use that the salamanders in a bigger force for for shattered legions. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh, man, that's that's great. Some great info. So, um, I, I guess some just general questions that I have for you. Um, what is it that you look for in a gaming community, and are you part of one or no? Vicariously, there's a local gaming community. It's largely 40k. We stay in touch through Facebook Messenger. Uh, I used to frequent the uh, local. GW store. That's how Chris and I met. We were in there all the time, you know, painting stuff mostly and you know, getting the occasional pickup game in. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a kid and I work really far away from 
from where I live. So I don't have the kind of time where I could just swing in in the afternoon at the game shop most days. So I don't frequent the game shop like I used to. I used to kind of haunt that place. But even then, when I was there all the time, I wasn't playing much. I was really more a painter and a collector. Um, so what do I, what I look for in a community is, you know, just, uh, or how I'm participating in a community is I, I'm just staying in touch with folks who are still playing. And, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So I feel like I'm fairly in touch with generally what's going on with rule changes and uh, any new releases and things of that nature. Uh, the thing I could do better would be to get more active games in with folks who are local. And that, that's certainly available to me because of the, the contacts we have through Facebook mostly. And then, of course, this, uh, this game thing we have at the house here every summer, that's been fun. That's where I get my most games in. And then uh, if we keep up this routine of going to Adepticon, that's going to be the big, uh, you know, the big um, you know, trip of the year, I think, going forward. Yeah, Adepticon is just good for everybody. You just get together with so many people. It's like a family reunion every time you go. So it's just a blast. Speaking of Adepticon, what were your thoughts of your very first Adepticon? I loved it. I, you know, I, I was a little intimidated because I'd never been to an event before, and I was concerned about you know not really knowing the rules and that kind of thing. Uh, but that wasn't a problem at all. I mean, I, I knew the rules well enough. Everybody was super friendly and helpful. And you know, we talked a little bit about that. I had a great time, and it was um, you know it makes me want to just make that just a regular journey every year. Uh, you know, we had uh, Chris and uh, our friend Doug. And I, we all had a great time together and, uh, it just makes me want to, you know, it gets me thinking more about the hobby and what I want to do in the future for 30 K. We were talking a little bit about some of the differences in the community, what you see. And I was thinking about, you know, my own recent experience at Adepticon and how, uh, the difference in the gaming halls between 30 K and 40 K, you know, you could see, uh, I guess, you know, just that level of excitement and the attention to detail, the quality of the, the, um, the thematic tables, it was really pretty cool. That, that was something that stood out, I think, in the 30K room. And I really just wanted to be a part of that. So so you're going next year? I think so. I think it's going to be a normal routine here. Uh, you know, <laughs> my wife's like, you're going again, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. <laughs> I think for all of us here, that's just something that our wives put up with. Like, they just know we're going to be gone at the end of March. Yeah, that, yep. was, uh, that was actually a stipulation when my wife and I got married because <laughs> Listen, it was in the this is my one thing and she's like you're fine you're going go and stacy comes out uh every other every other year anyway so works out well that's the other benefit i had about having some buddies that know the game well and have done these things before you know any advice i'd give would be latch on to somebody like that like i've latched on with chris and doug uh i have now somebody i can go with and you know we're constantly chatting back and forth about what's going on in the hobby and stuff and you know, getting excited about already what's going to happen next year. You know, we're talking about Adeptus Titanicus and, you know, we're all kicking around ideas about, hey, maybe we'll play that too, you know. Anyway, if I was on my own or I wasn't, you know, tied in with somebody who's already doing those things, uh, that, that wouldn't be my experience. So, you know, kind of like in sports or any other maybe aspiration, uh, pal around with people who are better at it than you are and you'll have a better experience. You know, you would rise to their level. That's what I'm trying to do. I uh, actually have a friend who's planning on going next year, one of my best friends. He only plays 40K, but uh, I think I ought to direct him towards this podcast, this particular episode, and maybe convince him to play 30K. No, it's, it's a thing to do, for, especially for players that are, that are looking for something different. And, and I know that there are a lot of games out there that, that in the gaming community that are just... I, I meet people that are a little fed up with the gaming community. I've seen it a little bit in the Grand Rapids community. And um, I kind of, I kind of watch the local Facebook page because I'm waiting for 
disheveled 40k gamers to bring over to the dark side but um i just i haven't been able to get anybody locally to leap yet but um but it, it's definitely it's a definitely just a better community i think i mean people here take care of each other and they look out for each other and they communicate really well and you can find a group of people like me and doug and brett's little freaking facebook thing is we're lighting each other up with hobby progress 24 7 and it's this is what i did today this is what i'm doing just it's a it's an inspirational thing that keeps you moving yeah i think probably each one of us are probably members of at least a half dozen horus heresy groups uh where we all sort of talk community our lives the hobby it's uh it's a great place to be yeah yeah very much so so and you make international friends too i mean i think the year before last when we had i mean all of those podcasters that showed up from all over the freaking the globe and to be in the same room and just shoot the crap with all those different guys, it was just, it was incredible. That was a really good, I mean, last year's Adepticon, this year's Adepticon was really good. The one before last was just absolutely amazing. I had a ball. Yeah, we're supposed to get a contingent of Australians uh, this next year again. Just to reiterate, too, also next year for Adepticon, if you guys are going to come, uh, we are own members here in the podcast. Uh, both Zach and uh, Brian are actually going to be running events, and they both ran one last year as well. So, you guys, uh, you guys, feel free to contact us about Adepticon as well. Well, anyways, I think that will conclude the interview with Brett. Unless anybody else has anything else they want to ask of him. No, I think we're good. I think that was some Brett, really good, good, really good radio. Yeah, Brett, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Five Hundred Worlds podcast. We appreciate you taking your time uh, and to come talk to us, dumb idiots. Wow. Thanks for having me. Super happy to be here.